When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Hi, this is Martha Shedden, and I am here with Elliot Rafelson. And uh, Elliot has quite a background in uh, finance, in banking, and also in, in personal finance and retirement planning. So, um, Elliot, thank you for joining me for this podcast today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm looking <laughs> um, forward to it. Yes, I am too. So um, I'm not sure where to start. I know you have quite a background. Um, can you briefly describe your working background and then we'll get to where you are now today Actually, you've actually retired? Sure. Well, uh, my banking career started uh, many years ago. I I worked for Chase Manhattan Bank for uh, 23 years, and I was fortunate that I was able to work in a lot of different areas of the bank. One of the problems with a lot of times when you work for a major bank, you get pigeonholed and you you don't get to do too many things. But I was fortunate in that I was able to do quite a few, uh, work in quite a few different areas. And uh, one of the nice things uh, that I was was able to do is I was able to communicate with a lot of our customers as well. And I started doing some uh, noontime seminars with with our clients. And I was able to talk about a lot of different aspects of personal finance and banking. And and that was a very good experience for me to be able to understand what the problems were of a lot of our clients. And and I got a pretty good feel for the kind of education that that the clients had, or I should say the lack of education. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was able to uh, learn quite a bit from, from these noontime seminars. And I decided that what I was going to do is try to uh, expand and work with some of the local colleges, I, and I, I wrote to uh, the New School for Social Research, and I proposed they hadn't offered any courses in personal finance, and I thought that would be very interesting. One of the nice things about the New School was that uh, they have both the university side and then they have a public side, and then on the public side, people just attended courses that they were interested in taking, and uh, I didn't really want to start grading papers or giving grades. and But I was able to uh, start a personal finance course uh, 
were the only people that was going to attend were people who wanted to get educated. They weren't there for any credits or any grades. And uh, that was just uh, a very good way to uh, expand from my banking experience to get a, a better feel for uh, a wide range of people. And so I did that for about 18 years. Wow. Uh, I taught at the, the new school and most of my uh, students were women. And it was, and it was very interesting I was real, really a little bit surprised that I had more women than men in the course. And, and I guess it's not that surprising, really, because when you think about it, uh, a lot of times uh, women feel that they don't really know enough about personal finances. And a lot of times they're, you know, they're married to somebody who uh, dominates the household and makes all the financial decisions. And so I got a lot of women in the, in the class who wanted to get better educated about personal finance. Uh, it was very interesting. And I love I love to hear that. And I find that with Social Security as well, I think. Yeah. And they're willing to become educated and ask those questions. So you did that for quite a while. And this was after you left Chase Bank. It was a while. That 18 years that I taught were years when I, uh, while I was working, you know, it was, it was I taught the courses in the evening. Oh, nice. So I was doing that while I was working full-time at Chase, and it worked, worked out very well. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I did uh, while I was there, and I, I really started a new career uh, as, as sort of a sideline because what had happened was there was a woman who took the course who was an editor at, uh, at Vogue, and her husband had passed away, and she up until that point, she really didn't run the finances in her home. And just like a lot of other widows, for the first time, they've got to face with a lot of decisions. And, and they just, you know, they don't have a, a good education. And as you know, uh, very few uh, uh, schools. Certainly, you know, I've had people in, in my uh, courses who, you know, got a PhD in one field, but they, they don't know the first thing about personal finances or running a household. And so it wasn't that unusual, you know, to, to get women, elderly, well, I shouldn't say elderly, but, but not young women in the class that really uh, just wanted to get educated. And sometimes they were widows and sometimes they were younger, but, uh, but it was very interesting to get that kind of a, a cross-section of people in the course. And so you get a feel for what people know and what they don't know. And, and I got a little bit better feel for uh, social security issues there as well, especially, you know, when you've got uh, women in the class who uh, never really ran, uh, never really made any financial decisions. And then they become widowed. And now all of a sudden they've got a lot of responsibilities. And That's uh, right. And that's that's one of the top social security benefits, the survivor benefit that is not collected or the full amount is not being collected. So um, that's really interesting. So you started writing about financial planning and that, is that what you do now? Is that correct? Yeah. Well, yeah, well it, was, it was interesting because after the woman completed the course and, uh, and she wrote an article for Vogue telling uh telling all of the readers how she got educated in personal finance after her husband passed away. And it was funny because 
uh, right after she wrote the article, all of a sudden, my class size went from about 20 to 50 <laughs> for a couple of years. And that was that was just because, you know, of that particular article. So obviously, it, it hit uh, home with a lot of a lot of women who right. you know, weren't running the, their household. And they so were it was, reading it was Vogue. very interesting. They were and reading they, Vogue, though. <laughs> yeah, they, but what started the next career for me is that you know, now that I got all of that free publicity from from Vogue, I wrote to the uh, editor in chief of Vogue, and I said, "Listen, uh, you interested in uh, in me writing some articles for you?" Well, it turned out that they they did have a monthly money column, but whoever was writing that column was also working for the Wall Street Journal, and the Wall Street Journal didn't like him writing for for Vogue, so. So for three or four months, uh, they were looking for a woman to write the column, but they, they gave me a break and let me write uh, three <laughs> columns for them. And I parlayed that into a lot of other uh, writing assignments. One of the nice things about working in New York is that a lot of the, the women's magazines are based in New York, like Savvy and Self and Working Women and Working Mothers. Yeah. So yeah. once I started writing for Vogel, it was easy for me to, to, to start contacting some of the editors at, at some of the other magazines. So it was like <laughs> a new career for me. So, so I was writing simultaneously uh, articles for you know, not only those magazines, but I wrote for Town and Country and I wrote some, some pieces for the New York Times as well. So I think that's fascinating. And I love that you parlayed your your background into this wonderful um, helping uh, service of teaching financial awareness, especially to women. Um, that's, you don't hear of that often. And that makes me happy. <laughs> that's wonderful. And then I know um, that with your writing, you receive a lot of questions from your readers and can you tell me what some of the most common questions you get are? You know, it's funny. Once I, uh, I spent 23 years at Chase and I retired as a vice president there and I moved to the Orlando, Florida area. And uh, I had written two books as well, by, by the way, while I was working at Chase. And I was able to use those books in my, uh, in my classes as well. And I also taught retirement planning for, for Dow Jones, uh, for the, did a couple of, did several seminars for them over a couple of years for their retirement planning as well. Uh -huh. And I was a little bit surprised at, uh, at the lack of education of even the people that work for Dow Jones. They really learned a lot from, from these seminars as well. But just to give you a little, little background in terms of why I started, uh, the syndicated column, which I write now. Once I moved to uh, Florida, uh, I, I got involved with a lot of volunteer activities, but I, I really missed uh, the interaction with uh, with the students and writing about personal finance. And I decided uh, to write to uh, the Tri Tribune Content Agency in, in Chicago, because I, I did a little research and, and, and found out which of the syndicates had columnists writing about personal finance. And I just wrote a very short email to, uh, to one of the key people at, at the Tribune, Tribune Content Agency is what it's called now. And I just said, are you interested in another personal finance column? And it turned out that the timing was perfect. Whoever 
one of the individuals who was writing the column, I guess, was getting a little bit tired of it, and and uh, he had turned in his notice, and uh, so they were looking for somebody. So it, it was so they asked me to send some clips to them. It wasn't it wasn't very difficult for me to just dig out a lot of the previous articles and send them some clips. And they said, well, we'll, we'll try it on a six month basis and see how it works out. And that was like 11 years ago. And I've been writing a weekly column since then. And one of the things that I discovered from writing the column is that social security happens to be one of the favorite topics of people. And uh, I found this out just through the feedback from the columns that I wrote. And even though I write about a number of other issues as well. I talk about annuities and investing and uh, a lot of topics that are related to personal finance. But when I write about uh, social security, I get more responses than any other subject. And what I say at the end of my column, as I I say, if if you've got any questions or comments, just write in. And uh, I was surprised at the volume, but I think I mentioned to you before that when I was writing about Social Security, especially when the laws were changing a few years ago, I got over 100 responses (laughs) to an article and I answer every one of them. That keeps you very busy. It does. It's it's like a full time job. (laughs) So that is it's great. Social Security is one of the most common questions. And I I can totally understand that. It's such a confusing, complicated program, and we we don't really have exposure to it until we're already approaching retirement age, and then people don't know who to turn to for help. So what are, if you only could advise someone for a short amount of time about their retirement finances, say you had 20 minutes to uh, to talk to someone are there any universal pieces of advice that you find yourself giving to most people? I think the most important thing to do is to try to combine a lot of things. In other words, if you're talking about retirement planning, for example, you know, people have got to be able to uh, to consolidate a lot of a lot of issues. In other words, you're talking about retirement planning. You know, some people have got 401ks. Some people, not too many people, but have. Uh, have got defined benefit plans, and you know a lot of people have got some, you know, a lot of savings from IRAs and, and in other accounts. And the most important thing is to try to coordinate all all of these things together and um, put a plan together. And uh, you know, when people go into retirement, it's a completely new ball game in terms of. Uh, what their expenses are. And a lot of times people spend more in, in retirement than, than they do uh, when they're working. They've got time on their hands. They want to go on vacation. So a lot of people underestimate <laughs> what their yeah. expenses are going to be, especially if they want to do a lot of traveling and go overseas and all. So it's important to for people to be able to you know, consolidate all of their assets and their income and so I think that's the most important thing for people to just be able to sit down and say, well, okay, okay I've got this lifetime income coming in from uh, if they've got if they're lucky enough to have a retirement plan, and, um, and some people do and some people don't. But I think that's the that's the hardest thing to for I think for people to do is to try to uh, 
try to put all of these assets and income flows together and come up with a plan that's going to last them for the rest of their life. Right. And we're, we're also used to saving and investing and growing our assets. But then when it comes to time to spend them, that's pretty scary when you're not working anymore. That's right. That, like you said, it's so complicated, all the issues that are involved with that. Um, What would you say were some of the most common uh, mistakes that you saw people making or they had made? I think one of the key issues is trying to put a plan together where you can't afford to make any mistakes. And it was when people are working, you know, and, and their salaries are going up every yeah. year. Uh, they say, well, gee, you know, maybe I made a few investing mistakes, but I can recover, but, you know, I'm going to get a raise in pay or I can get another side, side job. But when people enter retirement, you know, some things are fixed and, and it's not going to be that easy. A lot of times people think that they can uh, work after they, they retire and, uh, it's not that easy unless you've got uh, a specialized type of, uh, of an occupation. Mm-hmm. You know, most people uh, won't find it easy to earn a lot of money after, after they retire. So it's important that they don't make too many mistakes. Uh, right. So they've got to be a little, little bit more conservative in terms of putting a portfolio together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they want to, you know, they should be avoiding any risky investments as well, because if they make a bad investment after they retire, it may not be that easy to recover. We saw that definitely after the recession in 2008, that took a long time to come back from that. Um, and that, and it's scary for to be in that situation. Um, I'd like to talk more about specific social security uh, questions that you've gotten or situations. Have you had some unusual, uh, can you share with us any unusual cases, either your own or just questions that you've received? Yeah. Well, what's, what's very interesting is that I talked a little bit about some misconceptions. A lot of people don't realize that once they, they're divorced, and I get a lot of mail um, from people who are divorced. And it's uh-huh. important that, that even if they're in an unhappy marriage, if they're, if they're close to 10 years, they ought to try to stick it out and make sure that it lasts at least, at least 10 years. Because as you know, uh, once you hit that 10 year mark, then, you, then you're gonna be able to generate some benefits uh, from that divorce. You don't know whether or not you're gonna get remarried or not. And another key issue, and I'm sure you're aware of it, is that uh, if you do remarry, it's important to to do it after age 60 <laughs> because the the benefits change. And uh, for example, let's say that somebody's been married for a long period of time and uh, do go through a divorce. And uh, if they wait until age 60 to remarry, then the way Social Security works, as you know, is survivor benefits are available based on your previous spouse. If you if you remarry after age 60, I even had a situation. I mentioned this to you in a previous conversation. Unfortunately, my first wife uh, passed away about 20 years ago. She had uh, 
she had cancer and, uh, and even though we, we had a long and successful marriage, 37 years, she passed away and uh, ended up remarrying a few years later. And my second marriage is, is, is going on 20 years now. But the interesting thing about uh, that, that situation was that my current wife was married for over, over 10 years to an individual who uh-huh. worked until age 70 and retired uh, at 70, and he, and he passed away a couple of years ago. Well, my wife uh, never really worked very much for Social Security. Uh-huh. And uh, when we married, after a year of our marriage, she uh, her Social Security was based on 50% of my benefit. And uh, as I mentioned before, her, her previous ex had passed away a couple of years ago, and he worked until age 70. And uh, my wife was surprised when she got a call from Social Security, because uh, initially before we were married, she was receiving a spousal benefit on a basis of a prior marriage. And of course, that stopped once she remarried. Right. She, she remarried after age 60. But it turned out that uh, because her ex has, had worked until age 70, she was able to uh, receive hundred percent as a benefit, as a, as a survivor benefit, which was way more than she was getting from my 50%. So it was very interesting. Uh, and a lot of people uh, still don't understand the distinction between uh, survivor benefits uh, and benefits based on, uh, you know, benefit you receive from your spouse. So yes. uh, as you know, uh, you get 50 a woman who never works uh, is eligible for 50% of, of her spouse's benefit. But when right. it comes to survivor benefits, it, it goes up to 100%. So if you were married and divorced and you remarried after age 60, you're entitled to 100% of your exes. It doesn't matter if that, if that ex had married three or four different times. Everyone who's been married... For, to that same individual for 10 years is eligible to that same survivor benefit. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And But it's also reassuring to me that uh, Social Security actually notified her about that. Yeah, um, well, it, yeah, they, they did that because she had been receiving a, a spousal benefit right. uh, from him before she remarried. Right, because people, I have had people reach out to me who, weren't aware of it and they've let a few years go by and then they find out that they're eligible. So like I said, it is one of the least, it's one of the ones that's missed out on a lot. I know Um, I could talk to you for a long time, Elliot, but we're going to wrap it up. But before I do, I wanted to get your, it sounds like you're just so self-taught and knowledgeable on this topic. And, and so I'm sure you have your opinions on if you were in charge and you could change anything about Social Security to extend the longevity of it, you know, we're approaching that um, time when the trust fund will not have surplus funds in it. We'll be back on a pay-as-you-go system. So what are one or two of the tweaks that could be made in the rules to extend it if you if you could do whatever you thought was best? Good question. Uh, I, fortunately, I think that because so many people depend on social security, even though uh, these trust funds, like you point out, are 
are diminished and it looks as though Congress is going to, uh, may have to cut back. I think it's going to be very difficult, you know, to really do that. And I, I really don't think that congressmen, if they really want to be, be reelected, are going to, going to be able to uh, uh, start cutting back on, on these benefits. Um, I just hope that, uh, that they're smart enough to realize that so many people depend on Social Security now and they better, you know, take steps to make sure that uh, uh, that the funds get raised somehow um, so that people are going to be able to continue, you know, to do it. As you know, uh, very few people now who retire get defined benefit plans anymore. You know, yes. these corpor- corporations have switched to... Uh, 401ks and uh, people, you know, work there for a few years and then uh, then they leave. So a lot of people, very few people are able to accumulate enough assets so that uh, when they retire, they've got sufficient sufficient income coming in. So right. a lot of people just really depend on Social Security income. So I think it's important that uh that Congress uh, recognizes this, and I think they do. I, I don't think that that Congress is going to be able to cut back in terms of, of, of benefits at all. And I'm hoping that they actually will be able to increase them. Um, yes, there's and there's so many parts to the program that can be um, each little tweak that they make can extend the program. Um, as we saw in 83, that was a huge, a huge bipartisan effort. And there were people on both sides that got what they wanted and didn't get what they wanted, but um, it extended the life for 40 plus years. So I'm confident that's gonna happen. But like you said earlier, there'll be just more questions for you as soon as that, as soon as that happens, because people will be wanting to know how it affects them personally. Yeah. So, well, I really appreciate you joining me today for this. And um, I could talk a lot longer with you. Um, I I find your background really interesting and that you ended up where you are now. And um, I look forward to getting more questions from you in the future. If you get some that you need a second opinion on. (laughs) Yeah, well, you can count on it. One of the advantages of, of writing a column is you, you're forced to be educated. I mean, a, a week doesn't go by when I don't get a question that I have to do research. And you know that happens because I've already written to you a couple of times with some interesting questions that I really didn't know know the answer to. Uh, well, you taught, you taught me something, too, that one about the divorced, remarried, divorced Marry, divorce, marry, divorce again to the same person. That was very interesting. Yeah. There's some there's some really strange things that can happen out there with the rules. Right. <laughs> so well, thank you so much, Elliot. I'm gonna uh, I'll sign off now and um, thanks again for, for being on the podcast. And I'm gonna go ahead and stop. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and I look forward to working with you and having you answer all of the questions that I can't answer myself. <laughs> we'll both learn together. <laughs> I think so. Okay. I hope so. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you.